Well, let me just add, you know, Easter is uh, a big deal, and it's a big deal for all of us, and it's a big deal for a lot of your friends and family, and that video is a minute in length. It's on our Facebook page, East Point's Facebook page. I encourage you to grab that, share it. I promise you, you know, sometimes I grew up in a church where I would have been embarrassed to invite my friends to the church. Sad but true. I would have like, no, don't come to my church. And uh, that's not us. And I promise you, you will not be embarrassed. It's going to be a powerful time. It's going to be an encouraging time. We're going to talk about hope, resurrected, and what that means. And we're going to finish in a way that's going to blow your socks off. So I want to encourage you guys uh, to use the flyers, use the video, invite people to come along. Hey, um, I don't know if you caught this. Some of you know, uh, you follow me on Facebook. You see stuff that I had another granddaughter born this week. I happen to have a picture of her. I don't know how that happened. That's uh, Lupin Rainier. Yeah, she's adorable. And uh, she, uh, she already thinks Grandpa's pretty cool, so that's awesome for me. <clears throat> um, I want to take us to, uh, just a few minutes. This is the talk before the talk. If you're part of our East Point family, this is for you. If you're a guest today, I rarely do this, but I want to just take a little bit of time to explain some things about uh, where we're going. Um, Matt mentioned the gift, and uh, most of you know that that uh, we have been in this facility for now for about 10 years. We've been through four remodels in this building, and uh, many of you, uh, you, you didn't know that, you thought it just kind of showed up this way. Uh, people sitting around you have sacrificed and made a, a great investment in this facility. Good news is we just extended our lease. We're here for the long term. And uh, in fact, we've got a phenomenal lease. I've mentioned, mentioned this before, an amazing lease, and it goes up like now 2% a year until Jesus comes for as long as we want to be in here, which is unbelievable. And the lease rate, what we pay here, guys, I'm telling you, you couldn't touch this anywhere in Spokane Valley, let alone on this corner. So we're very blessed. Uh, people say, well, you know, we put a lot of money in the facility and we do a lot around here. Yes, we do. And here's why. Because we use this a lot. You know that this, this, this last week, this place was used like every day of the week for something. Uh, Friday night, I don't know if Matt, did he mention that they, the ladies, the, their, um, their gathering Friday night, the, the uh, uh, Project Forgiveness had almost 200 ladies showed up on Friday night for the, that event here. It was powerful. We have Zumba. We have Awana. We have Boy Scouts. We do stuff for CV School District on a regular basis. Have you noticed that Micah Peak High School is right next door now? Got a great relationship with them. By the way, on Easter, park over there. We have a reciprocal parking agreement. Regular attenders, I'm asking you to park in their lot so we can keep our lot open for guests. But we've got a great relationship. They're going to do their graduation here in June. And, and that's what we do. We provide a facility. We truly believe the church should have influence on the community. And it's not just an hour on Sunday. We provide a lot. We open our doors a lot because we want a lot to happen in this place. And uh, part of what we're doing with the gift, the Easter gift, and, and it's going to continue beyond Easter probably, unless I get surprised and delighted, which would be cool. But um, about 5000 of what we raised needs to go for some technical improvements, much needed technical improvements in this room. Another 5000 or so needs to go to Adventureland to make some improvements on our kids. I said earlier, kids matter. They absolutely do. And so we've, we're long overdue for some improvements in here and some changes over there. And then we need to raise about 90000 and uh, we're not going to go into debt. So we'll, as we, the money comes in, we'll do what we can. But we're going to do this in our lobby. I'm going to show you. There's a picture. Uh, you know, first impressions matter. And if you walk into our, our lobby, it's pretty, pretty ugly. We've got, you know, metal chairs and there's nothing special about it. We actually want to create, if you look in the bottom right, that's additional room. Family night, we always use that space already. We need more classroom space. We're going to create that for adults right. And the other side of that wall is kind of a little fireplace thing and couch thing for people to hang out. And then on the far left is a coffee barista area where we have now, but it's actually going to be like a real coffee barista area and then information counter. We want to make a good first impression. This is our home. We're here for the long term. 
and it's going to cost eighty-five dollars to $90,000 to do that remodel. That sounds like a lot. I don't see me thinking, I could buy a house for that. Well, guys, this is commercial property, and uh, it costs a lot to do anything commercial, and this is a big deal for us. We want to make the improvement to make a good first impression so that you'll invite more of your friends so we can reach more lost people for Jesus. And I like to tell people, tell me, tell me, how do you put a price on one soul that comes to know Jesus? How many of you in the years that you've been here have either come back to the Lord or found Jesus here as your Savior? Would you just raise your hand? Raise it. Look around the room, guys. How do you put a price on one soul? How do you put a price on one life that's changed? So this place matters. I'm asking you to give to help us improve it and to make it even better. Uh, and I'm asking you, by the way, to give above and beyond your regular giving. If you look at the pulse, we're about 1,000, I don't know, 1,700, somewhere in there, behind budget so far. That's not that bad. We had one bad weekend uh, with the snow and stuff, I think, in January or February. But generally, we do pretty well. And, uh, but I'm asking you to not, don't do this. Don't think, well, I normally just throw money in the offering, and I'll just give that for the gift. Don't do that. I'm asking you to give above and beyond your regular giving. We have operational costs. About $80,000 a month to run this place. Give above and beyond that to help us make uh, these improvements, both in Ventureland, in this room, in the lobby, a reality. So anyhow, pray about that. That's what the envelope's for. That's what we're asking you to do. And there's the end of my little spiel. All right, we're going to continue this week, part two of our, our series called Cross Encounters. We'll be in Luke chapter 23. If you've got your Bible, your Bible app, open up to Luke, the 23rd chapter. I say this every week. We have Bibles on the walls. If you don't have a Bible at home, Please take a Bible, make it our gift. We want you to take it home, uh, but we encourage you to bring the word with you if you've got it. Luke 23, we'll get there in just a minute. We're in a series of talks uh, just prior to Easter where we're taking a look at different encounters, interactions that Jesus had with people uh, while he was literally hanging on the cross, and that's why we're calling it Cross Encounters. Everything Jesus said matters. Uh, most of us would agree with that, I think. But the final words of Jesus, I suggest they matter a lot. And the final words that we'll hear from Jesus today are words of both grace and truth. My dad passed away in June of 1999. He had cancer. Uh, the last few months of his life were pretty tough. Um, but I spent a lot of time. He lived in a little ocean uh, studio apartment right in Oceanside, California, right on the beach. Literally walked across the road, and, and there was the beach. He loved the beach and lived there for quite a few years, and I spent a good deal of time with him the last few months of his life. I was living here, working here, but Life Center was gracious. They said, just go as often as you need to. And until the last few weeks where he was pretty uh, medicated on pain meds and not very coherent very often, up until that point, we had some amazing conversations. And all the things that my dad said to me mattered to me, but those last final words that he spoke, um, the conversations we had are forever etched in my soul. They're part of me. One of them went like this. My dad said, son, um, as best as possible, live your life without regrets. And this is coming from a man who lived with a lot of regrets. He said, as best as possible, live your life without regrets. But when you do fail, and I was a little frustrated that he didn't say if, he said when, but he said, when you do fail, turn your regrets into acts of repentance. Turn your regrets into acts of repentance. I will never forget those words, literally from my dad on his deathbed. And his point was, when you blow it, and we all do, run quickly to God. Don't run from him. Have you noticed that human nature tends to run from God when we blow it? Anybody besides me? We tend to run away from him rather than to him. And, and what my dad says, no, turn your regret into acts of repentance. Repent. The word repentance has gotten a bad rap in our culture, uh, unfortunately. We hear the word, and some of us imagine a fanatic. 
on the street corner uh, yelling some, you know, cursed, horrible, ugly words at people. Or maybe we've seen pictures like this. I've got one I, I pulled off the internet. Repent, repent, turn to Jesus, or burn. Yeah, thank you very much. And I, I see stuff like that, and it just irritates me to no end because that's not the heart of Jesus, and that's, what, that's not what repentance is. In fact, here's something I need you to hear today. If you're taking notes, write this down. True repentance is not driven or motivated by fear. True repentance is not motivated or driven by fear. It's not something we do because we're terrified of a mean and angry God. It's not something we do is like, well, the alternative is burn, I guess I'll repent. No, it is a response to the love that God has shown to us. It's a response of love to love. It happens. Remember last week, Matt talked about head and heart. It happens in our head and in our heart. When we realize that the foolishness of our path is not wise, not good, and so we turn to this path that God wants us to walk on, this unquenchable love that he has for us, we respond to that. And we see that as an act of love. Romans 2.4, here's what it says. It says, do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness. Who's his there? God. Do not show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What leads us to true repentance here? The answer is God's kindness. It's his kindness. It's because we are loved, because he's a good father, that we want to run to him. Yes, repentance means turning from sin. Yes. It means turning to the Son. Absolutely. And repentance matters because without it, there's no relationship possible with God, by the way. That's why this is such a big deal. Jesus said it over and over. Read the Gospels. He said it again and again. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But when Jesus said it, he wasn't, didn't come across like, repent or burn. Repent, I'm really ticked off at you people, you stupid idiots. Repent. No, it was repent because God's kingdom is right here within your grasp. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus called us to repentance. The Bible calls us to repentance, to choose this opportunity we have to turn from sin and to turn to God. And that opportunity, I need you to see this, it is a gift of grace. It's a gift from God, a gift of grace because repentance bridges that gap between us and God's mercy and his forgiveness. I hope, and I've just taken a few minutes to cover this, but some of you really need to hear this. Repentance is not a burden. I would be pretty safe to say that every one of us has sinned at least once this week. And I'm not looking at you. I am, but I'm not. We've all sinned. We, every one of us has said something, thought something, done something, or we should have done something that we didn't do. Pretty safe to say that all of us have failed. All of us have sinned. Now, we can walk around beating ourselves up, feeling miserable, feeling guilty, feeling shameful, feeling like heels, or getting hard-hearted and not caring. That's not a good place to go either. Or here's the better news. We can run to the Father who says, just come to me. I love you. I can make this better. I can clean this up. I'm yours. You're mine. Let's walk together. Repentance is not a burden. It is a privilege because it is the path to life. Everlasting life, certainly. But life now. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes we think everlasting life. Well, someday I'll have that with God in heaven. No, it, yes, but it is more than that. It is, it, it is this life that we can experience today. Life in the kingdom. Life with Jesus. And it's not a burden. It's a privilege. The final advice from my father is something I'll never forget because it were some of his final words. I'm going to read Luke 23, and I want you to look for this act of repentance that changes one man's life forever. Watch for it. 
Luke 23, verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, Jesus, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. We don't know for certain, but what's implied here is that Jesus was exhausted beyond the ability to carry his own cross. And so they conscripted this guy named Simon. So here, you carry this. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, I find this interesting. Here Jesus is exhausted. He's been beaten. He's on his way to be crucified. And he's still teaching. He's still giving instruction. He's still trying to encourage people. He says, for the time will come when you say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if the people do these things, verse 31, for if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? That's a proverb. Jesus, what he's doing here is he's prophesying again about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which did, in fact, in fact, happen in, in, in AD 70. So Jesus had told, he'd often prophesied about what was near and what was far, what was about to take place in Jerusalem and to the Israel, and what would take place in some of his prophecies yet to take place in history. But Jesus is reminding them, listen, the day is coming when you're going to wish you weren't here. And, and he says here, for if people do these things when the tree is green. If they treat me in un unjustly, an innocent man this way, that's his point, is a proverb. If they treat me like this and I haven't done anything wrong, then what's going to happen when things really get ugly? That's his point. Let's read on, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals. Now, we don't know exactly what they were guilty of. I think the Greek word there is malefactor. Uh, it basically means that they, they could have been thieves, they could have been rebellion uh, instigators, uh, people who were uh, fighting Rome, a bunch of different things possibly, but they're criminals. They were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. Verse 34. I usually get choked up about here, so bear with me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We think God is angry at us. Listen, if you think God's angry at you, listen. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Those crucifying me right now, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar. And they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was written, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate put that above the head of Jesus on the cross. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, rebuked the first criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Nowhere in all of the Gospels is the grace and the love of Jesus better demonstrated than we see it right here. I love the story where he, he set the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery 
you know, Freed loved her and, 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 and avoided her getting stoned I, by the people who wanted to stone her for her sin. I love when he acts, you know, generously and kindly towards the woman who wept and, and washed his feet with, with, with her tears. But there's no better place in all of the gospel where we see the love and the grace of Jesus demonstrated than right here. Two statements made by him in this passage. One, he made to his enemies. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't forgive them, God. And the other, to a criminal where he grants this man eternal life. Jesus was sneered at, it says, by the Jewish rulers, verse 35, mocked by the soldiers, verse 36, insulted by the criminals hanging next to him, verse 39, but he still showed grace to the end. By the way, I say criminals because Mark's account of this and actually says that both the criminals initially were throwing insults at Jesus. But something happened. Something took place. We don't know what took place, but something happened over the, the time that they hung on this cross where the one criminal began to have a change of heart. There's the repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart towards what was going on. He heard something, he saw something, he realized something. You know, we don't know exactly what took place when, but we know this, that there came a point where this one man, he repented, he had a change of heart. In fact, so much so that he rebukes the other criminal. Verse 40, don't you fear God? For we are being justly punished. We are getting what our deeds deserve. There's the confession. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, here's the repentance. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. Now people argue, theologians love to argue over this passage. Did the man understand what he was saying? Probably not. You know, they, the, their view, the typical Jewish view of the kingdom was not the same view that Jesus had. But what we do know is that he was crying out. He was confessing his sin and turning to, acknowledging Jesus who he was. His confession, his repentance, I'm being justly punished, and Jesus remember me, was enough that Jesus said to him, today, in fact, Jesus said, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. This change of heart represents the wonder and the power of saving faith, what God does in our life. And many of you, as you raise your hands this morning, you've experienced that, and many of us from other times and other places have been there. But something happened in the heart and the mind of this criminal. Something happened that changed him forever. I read a lot this week about the cross, um, crucifixion. I did more research on it. I've studied it before. But one author put it this way, and it's such a true statement. He said, we've made the cross too clean. We've made the cross too clean. Many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I watched it again this last week. Wept like a baby the entire time. Just sat there sobbing. My wife's in the other room, and she's sobbing. She's like, I can't watch that. But she's in the other room. Turn it down. I'm in here wailing. Recently, my wife and I saw the movie Risen, which I, I recommend. As religious movies go, it's actually very good. I liked it. Both of these do a fairly accurate job of showing us the crucifixion. Not always accurate to the, the, uh, what the story, but pretty close to what literally took place. But the reality is we simply cannot see and experience the full horror of death on a cross. Watching it on a movie, even if you see it in 3D, which I don't think it is in 3D, thank God, I hope it's not. But even if you watch it, you know, it's, you, you don't get the full experience of what's taking place. And I don't think there's any way we really can. Most of you know that I returned about 10 days ago from Rwanda, Africa. 
And before I went, I looked at pictures and I watched video and I did my research and I wanted to know, read, read a book actually about the genocide. And I thought I knew quite a bit about it before I got there, but there's no way, <laughs> there's no substitute for actually being there, being in country. The smells. You know, someday they're going to come out with movies with smells, I'm sure, but I'm not sure I'm going to go to those. But, but uh, the smells, the dust, the humidity, the, uh, the thin air due to the lack of elevation. You know, Rwanda's where I was at one point, and Kivu Lake's about a mile high. And then the intangible, tangible, I call it, just the spirit of the people. It's hard to describe the feeling and the sense of what's there until you're there. You cannot fully experience Rwanda without being in Rwanda. And I would suggest that we will never fully, thank God, fully understand uh, the experience, the crucifixion, until uh, we see, uh, you know, whatever we get to see when we get to heaven. I think the depth, uh, the horror of the crucifixion is just beyond us. But that being said, I want you to try and imagine the smells. I want you to try and imagine the noise of the crowd. Imagine the blood that's there, the flies. You know, it's funny, even in the movies, where are all the flies? You know how many flies would be around? Just that kind of situation. I've been to Israel, and, and believe me, they got flies. Imagine the tension of what's happening in that experience. And now remember what Jesus went through. And I'm not trying to depress any of you, but I want you to remember. He went through an all-nighter, exhausted. He's dehydrated. He'd been beaten, beaten badly. He'd been whipped. And typically when they whipped someone, the Roman whip uh, was one of the worst instruments of torture you could ever imagine. They, it was multiple uh, leather thongs, uh, tw 18 to 24 inches, with metal or glass or uh, uh, sharp bone that's been embedded in it. And when they whip it, their intent was to rip the flesh off your bodies down to the bone. That was their, their goal. Extreme form of punishment. Shredded, his back just shredded by this experience. And then after being viciously beaten, whipped almost to death, then they beat him a second time and they put a crown of thorns on his head. Now, the reason I'm describing this in some detail, I thought about showing you a clip from the movie, but you'd all be running out of here or the kids, I would be in trouble. But the reason I'm describing it in detail is that the brutal and inhumane context of what took place is where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. I think it's good to remember what Jesus did for us on a regular basis. Every time we take communion, that's what we remember. And I can't think of a better time than this season of our, of our life with just prior to Easter. We take a moment and remember what Jesus went through, all that he suffered for you and for me. You know, I'll be honest, when I'm hurt, when I'm not feeling well, when I'm tired, when I'm having a bad day, I'm typically not very forgiving and not very grace-filled. I'm not at all like Jesus. <laughs> I get really grumpy and really mean and really short and really harsh. And Jesus is literally bleeding to death, beaten, bruised, unrecognizable. And in that moment, Father, forgive them. Under the worst possible conditions, 
Jesus demonstrated love and grace. And then he says to this criminal, who, by the way, was getting what he deserved, this man who had lived his entire life as a failure, this man turns to Jesus and said, remember me. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, today, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. When Jesus says truly, or truly, truly, I tell you, it's, it's like an underscore, highlight. It's like there's no doubt about it. Let me, let me just make sure you get this. There's no doubt about it. Today, you're going to be with me. There's life after death. There's life after this. And you're going to be with me in the very presence of the Father forever. This criminal who wasted his life, this guy who screwed things up so bad that the Romans were putting him to death. In that moment, he heard words of hope from, from Jesus. And here's what's amazing. Right now, that guy's in heaven. Right now. Two criminals were on either side of Jesus. And I think they represent the two types of people that we have on the planet today. Those who repent and those who don't. Those who respond to the love of God and the good news of salvation and those who don't. So what does that mean for you and me? What does it mean for the people in your life? Well, listen to this. And if you hear one thing today, hear this. No one is outside the reach of God's mercy and grace. The reason I love this story and I love this encounter Jesus had with this criminal is that no one, listen, no one is outside the reach of God's mercy and grace. It's possible that you might be like the other criminal, ridiculing Christianity, sneering at Christ and the cross, maybe just writing it all off. I'm not sure how you ended up here or if you were invited or maybe you're listening online and you're just watching, thinking about this thing called faith. And, but you've been that guy. I know I was. I was that criminal. Once upon a time, many years ago, I was the thief on the cross who was flipping God off. I was suffering because of my own foolish choices. I was angry and vile toward God and others. I cursed God. I literally cursed God and anyone who called him father. I was the other guy. I wasn't the thief who responded well. I was the other guy for a long time. And I was dying this slow and terrible death until I came to my senses by the grace of God, confessed and repented of my sin and responded to the amazing grace and love of Jesus. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, no one, no one is beyond the love and the mercy of God. Because I was that guy who was angry and vile and filled with rage, and Jesus reached out and embraced me. Or maybe you've already personally experienced that grace, like I have now, and you know how good God is. You, you know what it means to be forgiven. But perhaps you're here today and there's someone in your life, spouse, child, a parent, friend, and they seem so angry and so far from God. So far, in fact, that you've given up hope. And I want you to hear this today. I say this with tenderness because I know I've got family members that are far from there. Listen, no one is outside the reach of God's mercy and grace. No one. Don't give up. Don't give up. You see, the path 
It's the same path that the criminal who's with Jesus took. It's a path where we repent. So pray. Pray that, that they see their sin. Pray that they own it. Pray that they confess it so that they will find eternal life. Pray that they understand what John said in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, I love this, from all, all unrighteousness. How much? From all our sin, all unrighteousness. Pray that they see that and that they come to that moment. Pray that they see that repentance is not a burden and that's a privilege. That's a privilege and it's a path to eternal life. But don't ever give up on them because God will. See, I believe that right up to the very last minute, the very last breath Jesus took, that there was in him this willingness to embrace both criminals on that cross. No one is beyond him, beyond his grace and mercy. One last story, I'm going to pray for him, we're done. Um, many years ago, I was on staff at Life Center, and I got a call from uh, one of the jailers, I think it was the sheriff, one of the guys that worked at the juvenile detention center. And he said, Kurt, I got a kid down here, I, I think he'll talk to you. And I said, well, what's the story? What's going on? Some of you, you'll remember this story because it made the news pretty big for a while. But uh, two boys, both teenagers, 14 and 15 years old, one of them named Brandon. Uh, I never met the other one. They actually stabbed a guy and killed him, murdered this guy. They're in juvenile detention. Uh, the court's trying to decide whether they're going to try them as adults or juveniles, 14 and 15 years old. And these are kids that just... Their family life, Brandon's experience, I mean, it, tragic, tragic, tragic experience. So, you know, my buddy calls me and says, this guy, this kid, I think he'll talk to, with you. Would you come down and meet with him? I said, is that okay? He said, yep, I'll get you in. So I showed up. An hour later, I'm down at the juvenile detention center downtown. I'll never forget walking in, seeing this kid, Brandon. He's isolated by himself. He was on suicide watch. Uh, he's got you know, nothing, hardly anything in his room, and you could tell, see the terror on this boy's face, 14-year-old kid. And I introduced myself, and we sat down and began to talk, and, and I uh, tried to find out a little bit about his story, and uh, at first he was very hesitant, very cautious, very suspicious of wh why I was there. And I just said, well, listen, Brandon, I'm just here to let you know somebody's pulling for you, I'm, anything I can do to help, I just, I just I want you to know I'm here. And that was it. Didn't pray, didn't do anything really super spiritual. Just kind of reached out to him and loved on him. And I got up, and as I'm going, they're opening the door. He says, will you come back and see me again? I smiled. <laughs> yep, I'll come back. Almost every day, I got to go back and spend some time with Brandon. And over the course of time, uh, he began to trust me and began to open up. And I began to hear uh, his story, which, again, would break your heart. Don't have time to tell it to you. He made a huge mistake, foolish mistake. He killed a man. He and his buddy, guilty, murder. And I remember, I don't know where along the journey, somewhere a week or two later, I said to Brandon, I said, Brandon, do you know that God loves you? And he shook his head. No, God could never love me. I said, no, listen. I want you to hear this. God loves you. And I said, God the Father loves me. And he said, it broke my heart. 
No father's ever loved me. That's what this one does. And I got to lead that young man to faith in Christ. He says, so what do I do? I said, well, you have a heart change. Turn. You repent. You confess your sin. And, you, and then it's funny. He said, I've been trying to confess my sin. My lawyer says, I need to plead not guilty. I said, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> I said, no, you confess your sin to the Father. And the slate will be wiped clean. Now, dude, um, you know, there are consequences for our actions. There are things that you're going to have to pay the, the price for what you did. Eternally, you'll be forgiven. You're his. I got to go to court and be a and stand and, and testimony for that kid um, and, and tell the judge, please don't sentence him as an adult. He's 14 years old. By the time he got to court, he was 15. I said, he's 15 years old. So I, I know you can, but I'm, I, I'm telling you, this, this kid is, has, a, has had an encounter with Jesus. You know, the things, well, yeah, jailhouse salvation. What does that really mean? Uh, criminal on the cross. He said, Jesus, remember me. Works for Jesus, it works for me. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, I am constantly amazed. I've been walking with you for a long time. And it never ceases to amaze me how good you are, how kind you are, how merciful you are how gracious and forgiving you are. And there's some, some sitting here right now, and they have looked at you as an angry person, an angry God. And maybe today for the first time, the first time, they're beginning to see a different image, a different picture, a different, a different view of you as one who loves them. So much so that you died on that cross and while you hung there, beaten, bruised, bloody, literally struggling for every breath, you cried out, Father, forgive them. That's the love you have for us. Lord, some of us, we've known you. We've been Christ followers for a while, but we still think you're an angry God. And so when we sin, we run from you rather than run to you. Would you make us really good repenters today? God, just help us get over the stupid, stupid view we have of you that makes us afraid to run to you with our stuff. And instead, Lord, let us come Just cry out to the Father, Daddy, I'm here again. I'm here again. And then wrap your arms around them, Lord. Show them how much you love them. Let them feel it right now. You're good. You love us. Maybe you're here today. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ follower. You've been running from God for a long time. Or maybe you once upon a time as a kid or as a young person, you prayed a prayer and kind of made a decision, but you know you've been far from God. You've been the prodigal son or daughter. You're that, that person. And today, you're ready to come home. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to single you out. But if you're here today and you're ready to say yes, to begin or to renew your life as a Christ follower. 
it starts with, guess what? Yep, repentance. You confess, God, I've sinned, I've failed. And I'm turning now my heart, my mind, my life from my path to your path, from my way to your way. And the second we make that choice, the good news is, listen, the great news is the instant you make that choice, all the power of heaven is yours. God says, now I'm going to empower you to do what you can never do on your own. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit so you can walk with me. And yeah, you'll stumble, you'll fail, you'll blow it again. And then you just keep coming back to that throne of mercy and grace. And God, here I am. And he just keeps walking you through this life until we get to spend eternal life with him forever. And if you're ready today and you want that eternal life, then I'm going to give you this chance. Just make this simple prayer. I'm going to pray right now yours. Make this prayer your prayer. Father, I have sinned. I have failed. I need a Savior. I confess it. I've messed things up pretty good on my own. But I get it. It sounds too good to be true. But I get it. You love me. And if you could forgive those people from your cross, I, I, I know you can forgive me. So I, I embrace that forgiveness right now. I embrace your grace and your mercy. And I want it in my life. And so I give you my life. I give you my all. I'm yours. Now, if that's you, you're always saying, oh, God, that's me. It's what I want. It's what I need. It's what I've longed for. And the Bible says that instant, that moment you say yes and surrender to him, everything is clean. Your past, your present, even your future is covered by what Jesus did for you on that cross. You're his kid. You're his child. You're his now. Lord, seal that truth in their hearts. Show them what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. I love this song. Make it your prayer. Make it a declaration. Let's worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Love those words. I can see you now. I can see the love in your eyes. Guys, I hope you leave here today with a different perspective, maybe an enhanced view the love that he has for you. If you today were able to sing that song for the first time, or the first time in a long time as a believer, as, as a child of God, I want to encourage you to tell somebody, let us know. We want to walk in this journey with you. And on the doors, um, I mean on the tables by the doors, there's a packet that's for new believers. We've got a Bible, some tricky starting walk with Jesus, information about our first steps class. Sign up for that. Take it. This is the beginning of our journey that we want to walk with you. Pick up those uh, flyers as well. Guys, I want to print a lot more this week, so take them home. Get them, get them out of here. Get them to your friends and family. Invite them. A couple weeks from now is Easter. They're going to be here before you know it. And if uh, you want to give the gift and uh, you say, I want to give it today, then again, just stuff it in the black box as you walk out. If you need prayer, pray to me down here. If you'd like to take communion, it's available on both sides of the room as always. But here's my benediction. Here's my prayer for you. Go. Leave this place remembering this. Repentance is not a burden, it's a gift. Go repent a lot this week. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.